the GovCon Secrets Podcast will take a deep dive into the government contracting space where you'll hear from a variety of expert guests on strategy, pricing, benefits, business tactics, and all this to save you a ton of money, time, energy, and effort. I'm your host, Jim Campbell, former Marine and CEO of Axon Fringe Solutions Group. My goal is to redefine the benefits world with a brutally honest view of how benefits, compliance, finance, and overall contracting strategy mixed with my years of experience and expertise can benefit you to deploy strategies to help your GovCon grow and win in the future, all the while without boring you to death. We're going to have fun. Let's start the show. All my amazing GovCon winners, I am super excited. I am really energized about our next guest. You all are in for a serious treat. I am here with Jim Campbell, founder, president, amazing human being with Axum. And I am so excited to have him here because not only is he going to introduce you to something that you need, you may not know you need this. So please welcome, and I'm so grateful to have you here. Thank you so much, Jim, for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm really excited and really appreciative for you having us on. First and foremost, I want to thank you for your service because you're a Marine. Appreciate it. I'm, a, I'm an old guy now, but uh, <laughs> yeah, back in the day, I was able to do some things. Well, how did you go from that to you're essentially in, you know, please correct me if I'm wrong. You're in this people, HR, software space that most, especially for me, is kind of like, oh, I just want to do the work for the government. I don't want to do what the HR. How did you get into that? That's a funny question. So uh, I am not educated, so I didn't finish school and have like I don't have multiple degrees. And when you're just a kid who knows how to shoot guns and blow stuff up, not many people are looking to hire you. Right. So uh, I had some G2. Um, I actually left a pre-med program to be an infantry Marine. And um, when I got out, a, a friend of mine worked at a benefits agency in Baltimore and said, hey, I just talked to these folks from United Healthcare and they're looking for somebody that is good at math and might be interested in benefits and maybe actuary sciences. And, and I was like, I need a job. <laughs> I can still do math. I'm pretty good at that. So I applied and uh, this guy was great. He hired me. Um, put me through a great program and training. They send you up to Minnesota, the headquarters, and they kind of teach you the insurance industry. But I, I mean, I knew that long and short of it was it was a massive field and there's so many things to do. And they saw my personality and my capabilities and said, you're probably better suited being in the sales role. So down here in Maryland in the Metro DC area, they never had a small group presence that didn't exist, meaning two to 50 employees. United Healthcare was not servicing those clients at that size. So they brought me in and said, go introduce everything that United Healthcare does to small groups. And as you know, here in the Metro DC area, 80%, 78% of the companies touch government contracting. So all the RFPs I was seeing, all the quotes I was giving out were for government contractors. Mm. And I was interested to, interested in how the benefits brokers were making money because I was still pretty young at that time. Uh, I didn't have all this, that's for sure. But uh, I saw how these folks were making money. I was like, I can do that. So natural progression, you leave the carrier side, you become a benefits broker. And then I just got really involved in how do these companies afford, consistently afford benefits because it's constantly spiraling. It's, you know, it, back then even it was just a cost year over year, kept growing. And uh, I went back to my math roots and I created a very large back then spreadsheet of every single client profile I had. And I, you know, by demographic, by client type, by geography, started seeing where all the likes and similarities were. And I decided that I was going to become a government contractor. 
So I enrolled in a program called the Veterans Institute of Procurement, and it's put on by, you know, Lockheed Martin, Canberra Corporation back then, very large companies, and they teach veterans how to get into government contracting. My sole intent was to never have a direct to government contract though. It was to take this wealth of knowledge I had built on the health insurance side or the benefit side and be able to show contractors, sit on their side of the table, where they made money, lost money, where their fringe rate was too high, where their DL might've been off. I mean, their indirects to their DL might've been off because of XYZ cost. And it was to build a company that could actually track and trace all those benefits dollars, help you with compliance around Service Contract Act, Davis-Bacon Act, union contracts, and do it all at the push of a button. And fast forward a decade later, this is where we're at. Wow. I mean, this is phenomenal because this is one of those spaces where I get so many questions. What do I charge? How do I incorporate the fringe? How does somebody know if they're making a profit? And then when you layer on the Services Act, it's like no one really talks about that. It's, it's really difficult to go even on YouTube and find a video. So it's amazing that you offer this at the push of a button. Is it, tell us more, is this, is this like a platform? Is this somebody, a consultant assigned and it takes hours on end? Like this sounds amazing. No, that's a great question. So this this is actually well-worn territory uh, if you were interested in just buying insurance products, right? There's companies that have been doing this for 40 years, but you had to buy their insurance products, right? And what that does is it does provide the solutions that com- that contractors are looking for, but it also puts you in a hedge pin of saying, this is our way and this is how you're going to do it. And then brokers, benefit brokers say, I don't know what I'm doing, but that company says they do. So I'm just going to put you there. And the, and the contractor is now stuck. They think they have what they need, but as their business grows or their, let's say their contracts change, they went from an IT company and then they were IT and they had some SCA compliance requirements. Where do I go now? Right? So there was, ve- it was very locked as far as the industry was going. So what I was looking into is saying, okay, you're a government contractor. You're trying to make money in very thin margins. So if you have the Service Contract Act, right, you can't offer one penny below that health and welfare amount. But if you go one penny above, you're eating into a very thin margin, right? And then with employees saying, just give me the cash, give me the cash, they don't understand the tax liabilities or the implications or the increasing workers' comp implications. And now they're not making money for sure. Now they're definitely not making money. Well, all of that doesn't have to happen. You have payroll people selling you something, you have ERP companies selling you something, you have a benefits broker selling you something. And in the last five or six years, I just said, enough, we'll be the hub of the spoke. You all sell your things, do it. We're going to help the contractor make sense of it. Let's put it all into one place. So the giant payroll companies, the great ERP systems that are out there, HRIS systems, you know, for, you know, human capital management, do what you do. We're going to bring it together and help the contractor make sense of it. And that's kind of where Axum has evolved to now is we've become the hub of the spoke. So brokers, payroll companies, HCMs, all of them say, we have all these great stuff, all these great tools. Somebody still needs to make sense of it at the contractor. That's where we're stepping in. We're partnering with the contractor saying, we know where you make money. We know where you're losing money. And we absolutely know where you're not maximizing the benefits that you're giving to your employees. Let us help. And, and then it, it turns into return for the company. Which is so needed because that's what we want. We, As contractors, we don't want to go put in all this work to bid on something, to win, you have your kickoff, and then you're like, oh my gosh, I lost money. Who is your typical client? Tell us more about who is this business owner that comes to you and is like, oh my gosh, Axum, please help me. I need help. <laughs> That's also been evolving over the years. You know, years ago, it was just the small businesses, right? That's the only people that heard about us, you know, 20 employees here or there. 
And then it started evolving benefits brokers. And then it started evolving payroll companies. And then it would evolve to really large companies or advisory houses. So our client average size is from two to about 2,500. Our largest client is 21,000 SCA. And we break it down into across their divisions. Um, so they use us for some, sometimes they don't use us for others. They just use us for consulting work. But the technology that we've built can scale from two to 21,000 and it's almost seamless. And then you add companies that might do Davis-Bacon Act or construction, and that's a whole different world. And then, you know, payroll companies don't involve themselves really with instruction because they're like, I don't want to mess with that. So there's all these rules and compliance, regulatory rules and compliance requirements that you have to abide by. Brokers don't know them. They might tell the clients they do, but they don't. And then the companies that are providing the services have great ERISA teams and they know all these things, but they might not do every aspect of the business. So they can warn the client, they can teach the client, but they can't deliver to the responsibility to the client. So there's this huge dearth of accountability in the contracting space where it's kind of like pointing fingers at everybody else. And I just said, I've had enough. We'll take on the accountability. If I don't do my job, don't pay me. But if they don't do their job, we'll fix it, right? And this is how we can work with the clients to make it better. So that's kind of making sure that the client's not stuck in that wheelhouse of saying, I need to know everything. I need to make sure we're making money. I need to pick up extra tasks because nobody has any room to do that. And then I need all my other technology that we're paying for to work. I said, hold the phone, go do HR, go run the finances of the company as a finance, as a CFO let us do the administrative and the technological connections for you. We can offboard a lot for you. Just let us help you because we know we know where you're going to make money and where you're going to lose money. And it's, it's so reassuring to know that you're there because within just one contract, a business owner can go from zero or one to easily 50 to three to four to 10. I know my first 8A sole source, I grew additional five people overnight. And it's like, what do you do? And so it's great to know that you grow with the company because there are companies who start off with the one and two. And the next thing you know, they have hundreds of people or potentially thousands, or there's a lot of different investment organizations I know have been signing up a lot of government contracting companies and probably really maximize your help. Yeah. So you have a lot of issues with that, right? So a company, like you said, we've seen clients go from 20 to 200 literally overnight. They won an award on a Thursday and they were told by the government they had to start Monday, right? And like, let's say it's security guards and you're literally taking a badge off one uniform and sticking your badge on it. But HR that weekend is spun out of control, right? They've got to spin up. They've got to get offer letters out. It's it's really kind of a mess. Well, then what happens in the adverse of that? If you lose a contract, you go from 200 to 100. It's really easy to go back to your benefits broker saying, hey, we went from 20 to 200. What are my rates going to look like? Any healthcare company in the country is going to be like, oh, your rates are better. You're bigger. But they get hammered the next year because now the utilization comes along with it. But when you go from 200 down to 100, you've just crushed that government contractor because the risk is still sitting with them from 200. The spend is there. Now they lose down to 100 employees. They don't have the premium to meet up to it. What are you going to do next year's renewal? They're going to get crushed. And they, the brokers are literally out there saying, hey, there's nothing we can do. Sorry. Now that contractor's like, what do I do to provide benefits? I set a precedent. Now I don't have the money to meet the demand of the increase. So the second phase of Axum really about four years ago, pre-COVID was let's get the data 
to show people where they're going to be impacted before they ever get impacted, right? So we built in our own AI and machine learning system now that we can tell people what their renewals are going to be six months before they even get there based on the strength of their contracts and their populations, regardless of where they're at in the country. So we've grown so much more than just compliance mm -hmm. because we have that fundamental knowledge of being in benefits and seeing companies get crippled across the country with just brokers and other vendors not paying attention to you know their, their losses or their potential increases as it pertains just to healthcare. That's a simple thing to focus on, but they don't they don't pay attention. Yeah, I mean, which is great to know because you are then a partner. You're not just like a service provider or have this platform, but you're truly a partner to help so that we can forecast, put ourselves in a position so that we're making nice, educated decisions. What are some things that people can do now kind of in preparation for, hey, you got 200 people or even, hey, you got, you know, three people or for those who are in construction and may be listening and thinking like, what, what do I have to do? I'm in construction. What? This applies to me. Like, what are couple of things that they can do immediately in preparation. First and foremost is, you know, if you're over a certain amount, like let's say 50 employees, you have to abide by the Affordable Care Act. And this is a big thing where contractors aren't made aware because in the private market, the individual mandate was removed. But if you have Service Contract Act or Davis-Bacon Act or you're in a union, you have to provide benefits with those health and welfare dollars that you have under those two acts. And they're saying, no, 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 we were told that we didn't have to. IRS comes and does the ACA filing, hit with a penalty and a fine. And then you have to really sit down and say, are we going to offer benefits, right? Do we need benefits to recruit new talent and retain the current talent that we have? Let's say you're small. You want to know how to best do that. Well, the options used to be very, very defined. Regardless of where you lived in the country, it was like any broker in the world that had an insurance license could go out and get you the rates from XYZ carrier. That's not a job, right? That is somebody going out and getting you a spreadsheet. Well, if anybody can do that job, it's not as valuable. If you're going to offer benefits, you have to know what you can afford. What acts are you required? You know, if you have no acts, but let's say you're an IT company or you're in the IC space and the intelligence community, you absolutely need benefits because all of your competitors have it. And those folks can go down the street just for benefits, right? So I would say, know the type of contracts you have and the requirements thereof, if you're going to offer benefits or not. And then two, if you say, or three, if you say, I'm not going to offer benefits, I'm going to give cash in lieu of benefits. Did you bake that into your RFP rates? Because I'm willing to bet 80% of the time we hear like, yeah, I didn't figure that in. I didn't know that the taxes couldn't be written off to health and welfare. I didn't know it was going to increase my workers' comp values because as payroll goes up, workers' comp goes up. So we run across a lot of companies that didn't factor that in. They're like, oh, I thought we could charge it. We were told we could charge it back to the health and welfare. Sorry, that's, that's not the case. That's an overhead item. Wow. And so those three things are massively impactful. And then finally, what's the outcome that you want to get from offering a solution, right? So if you're going to offer employee benefits, oftentimes people say, I have a benefits package. Okay. But can your employees use it? Because right now we know that the majority of Americans don't have $500 in their bank account to cover massive or major events. Well, if you have a $5,000 deductible health plan and you're not contributing to it and they don't have $500, they're functionally uninsured, right? So you've handcuffed more than helped. And that doesn't, that goes back to my original statements when I said the legacy industry was just product-based. Who's looking out for that individual user? And I can say this because being a part of the DOD or the VA environment, I could never have afforded my bills after my injuries. After nine surgeries, I would have been financially paralyzed forever. 
right? So I know what those surgeries cost. If they were in the private market, it would probably have been double. You're talking about millions at that point. So I, I would never have been able to financially recover. So what we set out to do is say, okay, if the average American, and I don't care where you're at in this country, needs benefits, needs to take care of their kids, how do we get down to what they can afford, the employer, what they can deliver, and then how do we help those individual employees and their dependents use those benefits? So they're not financially crippled and they actually have a benefit. And that's been the whole mission from day one. I'm an average, come from a blue collar family, average American that just wants to see other average Americans not suffer. And right now, healthcare costs are the number one leading contributors or contributing factors to bankruptcies in the United States. Mm. And I'm not just talking about low wage employees. I know people that make $200,000 a year that have had rippling, rippling financial recourse from possibly catastrophic conditions from a spouse or a dependent, you know, a child born with a debilitating disability. It's, it's financially crippled them. And I'm like, this shouldn't be the way. And thank goodness that legislation's now been passed that can actually help prevent a lot of this misbilling and some of the nonsense that goes on in healthcare. Yeah, because it's not top of mind, that part of it. It's, okay, I got to offer benefits. I need to figure it out. How do I wrap that into my rates? We're not thinking about, wow, you know, that medical bills, health insurance costs are one of the leading factors of bankruptcies and just stress. I mean, mm -hmm. that's how powerful this is. And it's crippling. It's crippling. And, you know, also walk us through the cash amount for those who may not be as familiar, because I'm just blown away that 80% don't factor that in. And, and the thing is, I've seen Services Act in part-time one-off positions, you know, hundreds of people, everything in between. So this doesn't apply to just one type of contract or, or one area. It applies across the board. So, you know, definitely share more about what is this cash benefit that you should. Sure. So in, in wage termination contracts, if you have a hourly health and welfare amount, whether it's Davis-Bacon Act and it's based on job or geography, for that job or service service contract act the higher low fringe if you choose not to provide benefit that employee still must receive those dollar amounts so a lot of people think uh path of least resistance i'm going to pay cash and will i'm going to take that health and welfare amount and put it into their check it'll make us look like the employer of choice well then let's just use 480 as the high fringe right now that 480 times 177 hours per week I mean, you can quickly do the math you're you know you're darn close to 800 a month if not you know touching it well, if you're working 40 hours a week and you have $800 a month coming to you, FICA, FUDA, SUDA are included, right? Well, the employers have their employer side of the tax to pay on that. That is not reimbursable from that $800. That's all overhead. Well, you take that by 20, 30, 40, 50 employees and you quickly just ran yourself out of profit on a very low margin opportunity. And then on top of that, you have your workers comp rate because it's based on payroll that went up. Also not reimbursable by that health and welfare amount. So now you have more cost, but lo and behold, you have one employee in your population that says, I'm sick. Like I'm a diabetic. My insulin costs me a thousand dollars a month. I need health insurance. And they're a valuable employee. Let's say it's your right-hand person, right? What are you going to say? Nah, I, I, I can't offer benefits to keep you. You know, I've got 50 people I'm paying cash in lieu of. This person's helping you build the company, possibly helping you run it. And now you're going to lose them and still pay more. It, it's just a revolving door. So we have a lot of clients over the country that are suffering right now. The economy is destroying people, right? And I can be candid, right? I mean, we'll just be honest. 
inflation is killing the average American right now. And it's no secret. But when you have folks that, let's say, work in um, mail delivery, USPS, mail haulers, truck drivers are in massive demand. We need truck drivers. And that's a big project. The USPS has massive contracts all over the country with mail haul companies. Truck drivers know this and they're saying, no, I won't come work for you unless I get that health and welfare amount in cash. Mm -hmm. But these trucking companies still have back office folks, executives, management, non-wage and hour employees that need benefits. So now you have this company of, let's say, a thousand people and only 250 people on the health plan. You have adverse selection. Your rate keeps going up every year for just those 250 people that you need to help you run the company. But you have 750 that are saying, nah, nah. If I get sick, I'll just have the government take care of it until something happens. And then they come back and say, oh my gosh, that extra 10 grand a year I was getting from the health and welfare amount isn't covering this $35,000 bill I just got, right? Or 40,000 or whatever the catastrophic amount is. We see it literally every week. And we have clients that they're just handcuffed, right? They want to keep companies. They want to keep delivering on the contract. They know they have to. The certain industries, they're just handcuffed. They can't get away from cash but they know they need to provide benefits. There's this slippery slope in contracting where a lot of the government NAICS codes haven't been like revised for review on health and welfare or updated as far as the wage scale. And that's, again, something needs to be done because contractor, the end employer, is constantly getting the shaft. You can't keep delivering to the government while they keep pushing down the weight on all these other compliance and regulations and requirements, it just creates for a bad partnership. It's, it sincerely does. In addition to, it seems that many of these type of contracts are evaluated based on lowest cost, technically acceptable. Yeah. LPTA was huge, especially like six, seven years ago. It was massive. When President Obama left before President Trump came in, President Obama started to get away from it. But during his tenure, that was it. Like, you know, you remember when we went through sequestration, how much of a nightmare it was. It was crippling the country. But LPTA was part of it. And then we got away from it. The economy starts rolling. We're going to start to go back to it now. And this is where I don't think services companies are recognizing because our, our population has changed. Mm -hmm. Like the, the way people are valuing their jobs, valuing being employed, the benefits they receive at their job. There's a massive employee engagement issue in the United States right now. And I've been fortunate to be all over the world. I've seen people that couldn't get a job. They'd be thankful for the work that's available in this country. We don't have an employment problem in the United States. We have an employee engagement problem in the United States. You know, And I think that we have the baby boomers all the way down to the Gen Zers. And no one's figuring out that employee engagement of how to handle everybody. You know, baby boomers are working because they need to pay for medical bills pretty much and to be able to afford to maybe retire, but they're working much later in life. And then you have the Gen Zers who are like, I don't want to hear from anybody in my company. I definitely don't want to be piece of printed paper. I need everything done digitally. So we have to figure out that paradigm. And I think government contracting is really behind the ball on that, right? Because we've been so used to, we all work in an office, we work on customer location, we work in a skiff and then COVID hit, boom, everybody's remote, remote work. Okay. Well, what about the security guards that couldn't remote work? What about, you know, armed and unarmed? What about like the the facilities maintenance companies that had to keep providing services in order to keep some of the federal buildings open during COVID and they were wearing masks and 
you know, hazmat suits and all these other things. They couldn't go to an HR person in an office. But if you're working two shift work, that HR person's not there to answer their emails either. So you have a generation that now needs the mobile applications. They need the remote connectivity and you need to be very good at engaging that because these benefits can be valuable and they really can help people. But it's all about communication and, and uh, education in my mind. No, it, it sincerely is. I mean, Gallup just released that there's this all-time high of employee disengagement. And all that's going to do and all it does is just leads to more expenses because you have people coming in and then they leave and you got to get more people coming in. And then you add in this potential, well, not just potential, I mean, this clear lack of knowledge around this topic. That's why I'm so grateful that you're here because, again, 80% of people bidding on these type of opportunities not factoring in those expenses or just going the cash route. I've been guilty of that too. I mean, we've gone the cash route. We don't have hundreds yet, but it's eye-opening on this end because I don't want to make those mistakes and I don't want all my amazing GovCon winners to make those mistakes either because you can quickly grow, it can quickly get that contract, especially when fourth quarter comes. And before you know it, it's like, wow, I have a company of a hundred. Who would have known that? I, it was just me for five years, you know? And, and so having engaged employees is vital because yeah. there's so many options. Unemployment is still at record lows. That's right. And, and there's so many openings though. As you know, we've seen like things like food services, big companies, huge companies going on a base that, or, or, or anything. That's a big job, right? They're struggling to find people. You know, they're not paying $15 an hour. They're paying like $22, $23 an hour. And these people used to not even get close to that. But then you also have the health and welfare amount that they're getting their benefits paid for. And we have clients that are struggling to fill positions. And I don't mean one or two, I mean like 20 or 30 slots on a contract at a time. You know, and I think it comes down to the education and the communication strategies. One of the things that I would say most is that there are a lot of great people in this industry. There are a lot of great people in employee benefits and in technology and HRIS, and they all want to do good things. They don't know the full impact of what they do versus the other things at the contractor. And I've been very fortunate in my career that we've been able to sit down on the side of the fence with the contractor and try to see HR, CFO, CEO, contracts, the BMP people, all of these other folks, or, you know, uh, biz dev folks, they don't talk to each other. Even when they were in the same building, they don't do a good job of communicating. So what I said, it was like, I've got this great experience, got this great, amazing platform. How do we become the hub of the spoke? And first and foremost, I would say, all anybody has to do is ever just ask a question. There's no hard sell. It's, hey, Axum, Jim, I have this question. How does this work? I've answered it a thousand times where we have legal resources or great CFO minds that have answered it for us. We kept a huge FAQ section. Mm. I'm not going to send you a bill. Ask a question. Let me help you. Let me show you the value. I'm not going to send you a bill or try to sell you anything. If I can help you, we're going to help. And I think that's the other misconception is every time I reach out for help, somebody's sending me a bill. That's the problem with this industry, right? Because I don't knock legal. I don't knock the CPAs out there. That will, that's a model that will never work in the small to mid-sized contracting community because they don't have the money. It's not there. They have to do the work, find a way to build the government, get paid, and then keep the train rolling with their finance company if they're using anybody, their bank, whatever it is. It's a different industry altogether. And I just wish more people that say they're in GovCon would have a little bit more recognition to the actual impacts to the GovCon. Yes. Because they don't. They just no, suck. They, they don't. Before we formally close, is there anything else you want to, to share or anything I should have asked that I didn't ask? 
ask. Uh, no, I, I just, I go back to the comment I made when we were off air that I appreciate you because what you're doing for the community is huge. Uh, I love your fellow, you know, you have a huge followership, but you're doing the right things for the small business community. If there's anything I can do back for your group or back for your folks at any time, the door is always open ask questions, happy to help any way I can. But uh, hopefully we can add some some new viewers to your group as well. Oh, thank you. And vice versa, because I know I'm going to contact all of my students. I'm going to let them know they need to come to the conference. Um, I, I'm just I'm just so grateful. You're going you're gonna to make me blush and cry. So <laughs> I really appreciate it because I've been through my trials and tribulations. And I just want to help a billion people in this space, introduce them to it and just really help them, especially once they get a contract, because that's when the real work it. 100%. And I think the stat that just came out was uh, from Deloitte, I believe it was, is really sad that more money was spent in the small business community than ever, but less small businesses entered the space than ever. And you can't have a population of 80,000 companies diminish because there's only so much room to, I mean, there's so much money to go around, but there's nobody's moving forward, right? And that means people are running out of money. They're not paying attention to their contract costs or they're just not winning. And that doesn't have to be the case. You know, with, with your resources, you know, the SBLOs out there and all these other innate resources, you can win. You can be a small business. That's the, the, the next winner, the next champion. And uh, I want to see more people do it. Well, I do too. And that's why I'm so grateful to have you here, Jim. Thank you so much. And as always, my amazing GovCon winners, everything is possible. And please make sure you sign up. You heard him. You can go in person. You can attend virtually. There is no reason you can't go. So thank you so much. again. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It was great meeting you. Same here. Mm -hmm.